Blog Talk Radio.
All right, well, welcome back to another edition of Prayer International Radio. You know, waiting on the Lord. You know, that song, Fly, is a scripture that they took from Isaiah 40. Let's read it for a minute. It says, don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of all the earth, he never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to those who are weak, those who are tired, those that are worn out. He offers strength to the weak. He gives power to the faint and strength to the weak. Even the youth will become exhausted. And the young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So here the prophet Isaiah is declaring to the nations, declaring to the nation of Israel at the time and to the nations over the span of time. And he's declaring that God the Lord God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. He is an everlasting God. See, there's something about God. See, the Bible says that he was and he is and he is to come, that before him nothing was made. Do you realize that? Nothing was made, that by him all things were made. In other words, he existed before anything, and he'll exist when everything is gone. See, there's something sustaining about the nature of God. See, there's there's a sustenance there that we as humans do not have. See, we faint, we get tired, we get weary, we get unmotivated. But see, God, when he burns, when he's focused on something, when he's passionate about something... He endures to the end. In fact, with him, there there is no end. See, we only know end because we have to measure everything in time. So here the writer says, God is an everlasting God. He's an everlasting God. The creator of all the earth, he never grows faint or Weary. The Bible says, let the same spirit that's in Christ be in you. And that if you're a new creation, if you're a new creature, if you're in Christ, listen, old things are passed away. All things have become new that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. That same strength, that same Sustaining power. Do you want to endure to the end? The Bible says he that endures to the end shall be saved. If you want to have an endurance that goes to the end, then you need to align yourself 
with Christ. You need to allow the Spirit of God. See, the Hebrews were smart enough to understand one principle. It's not by might. It's not by my power. But it's by the Spirit of the Lord. I can't do it in my own strength. See, Jesus said it like this in the New Testament. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But later in Philippians, Paul the writer says, I can do all things through Christ. Why? Because he strengthens me. There's a strength. There's a strength that's imparted. There's a strength that's imputed. And when I say imparted, that means that God, by his spirit, does something supernaturally to put something in you that you didn't have to earn or work up or do to get it. He just put it in you. And when you begin to align yourself with the Spirit of Christ, when you begin to allow the Word of God to dwell in you, what does it say? Your words are health to my bones, David said, the psalmist. Health to my flesh, strength to my bones. Your word heals all my diseases. Your word. Why? There's a strength. There's a power. Why do you think Jesus, when he spoke, 90% of what he had to say, he quoted the Old Testament? Because he knew, Father, I only speak what I hear you speaking. I only pray what I hear you pray. I only do what you tell me to do. Why? Jesus knew that if he was going to have a sustaining coming life, he had to be obedient. He had to be filled. He had to be led. He had to allow the sustaining power of the gospel to not only overcome his life and over and fill his life but to help him to endure to the end and so why does Paul say let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus let the spirit of Christ dwell in you richly why are we told in the Proverbs to lean not on our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths why Because see, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it's death. But if you begin to follow God's ways and align yourself with Him, you begin to do things by His principles, His standards. What's going to happen? See, the the fruit of it, the produce of it, what it produces in your life is life and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus came and he preached what we call the gospel, the good news. And the good news was the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come unto you. The kingdom of God is here. And when he declared the kingdom, and he began to not only declare it, but he began to demonstrate it. Not only did he demonstrate it, but he delivered it. 
He put something in. He gave them something. He gave them himself. Jesus says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And he's constantly talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. How did he declare the kingdom power? He didn't just declare it with eloquence of speech, but he declared it in power. He said, don't believe me for my very word's sake, but believe me for for what you see. He was the one that came and said, be forgiven of your sin. Take up your bed and walk. The one that spit and rubbed dirt, rubbed mud in a blind man's eye, and next thing you know, he could see. Went and healed lepers. Raised multiple dead people. Not only one. You realize when he went and gave up the spirit on the cross, the Bible says not only did the temple torn, begin to shift, begin to collapse. All of a sudden, the, the Holy of Holies, the, the veil was rent. It was torn. No longer was the presence of God separated from man because when Jesus finished the work, gave us access to the Father, gave us access to his spirit, and in turn gave us access to the power of God. But that same power, when Jesus was on the cross, he began to cry out, Guess what happened? All of a sudden, the dead in Christ began to come up out of the graves. And most of all, on the third day, on the third day, Jesus himself rose himself by the Spirit of God from the dead. The same resurrection power, the same resurrection life that's in Christ that was available in the Old Testament, that was available in the New Testament. The one that we read about, all these historical accounts of the Smith Wigglesworths and the Catherine Coolmans and the different men and women of faith that went before us that went and did all these amazing things had these amazing miracles and these amazing results. Why? Because they understood the sustaining power of the gospel. Why? They aligned themselves with God so that his spirit could not only indwell them and fill them, but his spirit could pour out of them and through them. See, God will bring something to you if he knows he can get it through you. And the reason why he decided to manifest himself in the group of disciples. Jesus chose some of the most unlikely people. And even in their flesh, they 
failed at this thing many times. Missed it. Blew it. Messed it up. But you know, when he put his substance inside of them, when he put his essence on the inside of these men, when their life was filled with the presence of God, when he imparted that resurrection life, what did they do? They went forth and they began to do the works of Christ. They began to bring salvation to those that were lost and dying and going to hell. They began to bring healing to those that were crippled and bound up and tormented. They brought deliverance and freedom to captives that were bound, not only in real jail cells, but those that were tormented in their minds and tormented in their bodies because of spirits contrary to Christ. The Bible says this, greater is he that's in me, greater is he the Holy Spirit than he that is in the world. Let's go to Romans 8 for a minute. Isaiah, the sustaining power, renewing your strength, those that wait on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to serve Him. We always say wait on the Lord means to wait and tuck. No, to serve. To put Him first. To not make a move until He makes a move. We we follow our Master. We're the servant. And He goes before us. And when He moves, we move. When he speaks, we obey. Or theoretically, we should as children of God. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Why is that? Because when God imparts life, he can take blind eyes and cause you to see. It can take stopped up ears and cause you to hear. Not only hear what's out there, but hear him. Not only see what and who's out there, but see him and see things from his perspective. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the Spirit, the Spirit of righteousness, holiness. What is that? Set apartness. Putting God first. Set apartness. Making Him holy. Making Him first. Putting Him above everything else. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added. See, God is all about addition and multiplication, but see, everything's got its rightful place. He says, do the first things first. What do you tell the church of Laodicea is in the book of Revelation chapter 3? Well, let's look, and then we'll jump back over to Romans 8, because this is important. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. I don't know, I'm just going with it. Just go with it. 
so there we are. He says, I write this letter. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful, true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know all the things that you do. I know that you're not hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched and you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you'll be rich. God says, look, the substance, the riches that I have, it's been through the fire, it's been through the test, it still stands. See what the world has to offer, listen it, it may look good on the surface, but once it goes through the fire, there's nothing left. It burns up. It says, buy white garments so you'll not shame your nakedness. Buy ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. What he's saying is like, look, let me show you what real value is. You think you've got value because of your monetary worth? The only thing that puts value and adds value to your life is Jesus. That's what he's saying. He says, you think you're covered? You think you got this covered? You're naked. Let me wash you with my blood and make you white as snow and put white garments over you and clothe your nakedness. Clothe your foolishness. He says, without me, you're, you're out there wide open. You ever heard the term sitting duck? You know why they call it that? Because when you're hunting, you always want to look for a sitting duck. Because when it's on the ground, it's not flying in the air. It's a lot easier to shoot when it's sitting on the ground or swimming in the water versus flying in the air. It's out there in the open, vulnerable for the attack. And listen, Jesus says, without me, you're wide open. You're a sitting duck. Let me clothe you. Let me cover you. Let me keep you. Let's keep going. He says, I advise you. He says, I am the one who corrects and disciplines everyone I love. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your indifference. Listen, Jesus was rebuking his people. Jesus was chastising his children. God was correcting his children because of their indifference. Not their crazy sin. He he said, look, I know you guys love me. I know you're not in sin. But you're indifferent. You're not passionate. I'm not first in your life. I'm on the back burner here. And you're indifferent, and it, it bothers you. i got an issue with it, God says. See, listen, there's a sustaining power in the gospel that when God ignites your heart, when the fire of the Holy Ghost begins to cause you to not be cold and not be lukewarm anymore, but you begin to burn with a passion for God, with that love 
comes with strength. See, when you when you care about somebody, you'll you'll sacrifice for the ones that you care about. And when you care about God, guess what? He says, present your body, a living sacrifice, holy. There's that word again, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service. He says, present yourself to me. I want you first. Sacrifice. Show your love. What does he tell the church of Laodicea here? He says, I discipline everyone I love. Be diligent. Turn from your indifference. Look here. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, come in. I'll share a meal as friends. I will invite everyone who is victorious to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let me put it this way. The King James says, I've got something against you because you've left your first love. Because you left your first love. Because you're indifferent. You don't think about me the same like you did in the beginning. And that's what God's saying. Look, don't leave your first love. Get your fire back. Get your passion back. Do you want to know why you're not being sustained in your Christian walk? Because you let your fire go go out. You stopped finding your treasure in the Lord. You stopped finding your pleasure in the Lord. And you reach for other things. And guess what? You'll eat the fruit of it. I'll, I'll eat the fruit of it. Everybody will. All of them. But if we reach for Jesus, we reach for God. We seek first him. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. Get it? It's not what God can give us. It's what, it's, it's what he's already given us in Jesus. See, in, in him we're complete. Because, see, when, when Christ is in us, and we're seeking out his plans and his kingdom. All these other things will be added. Everything we need in God. He says, I've given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. You're not lacking in any spiritual gifts. In Christ. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul. Well, here we go again. Let's back up. My brain's a little frazzled. David, Psalm 23, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which means, as long as the Lord's leading and guiding me, I'll be in no lack. I'll have need of nothing. Everything I need will be taken care of. What did Jesus say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What? Your kingdom come. Lord, align me with your kingdom. Lord, your will be done. Lord, align me with your purposes. When I'm aligned with you, Lord, guess what? Daily bread. 
sustenance, provision. And not only the physical and what we consider whatever it's monetary or rent or bills paid or whatever we need for the day, but spiritually speaking, whatever you need for the day, God wants to be the bread of life. Jesus wants to be the bread of life. He wants you to partake of him. He wants you to covenant and commune with him. Don't leave your first love. Don't be indifferent. Don't settle and become lukewarm and let your passions and your desires and your pleasures and your what you think are treasures get in the way of you and Jesus. I know in my life when I allow those things to get between me and Jesus, there's trouble around the corner. And usually if I'm not doing things for the right reason, God's about to take me through a season. I want you to think about that. If you're not doing things for the right reason, God's about to take you through a season. And it may be not very comfortable. It may be not very, quote-unquote, spiritual. It may not be very exciting. Well, it may be exciting, but it may not be real Exciting in a good way. Because, see, if you're doing things for the wrong... What did Jesus say? You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. That's why you don't have. That's why you lack. That's why things don't seem to work out in your life. Because when you're doing things for the wrong reason, God allows you to either go through a season or he takes you through a season. Although God knows, but see, his his desire is that you'll allow those things to adjust you, to conform you to his image, to his will, to his plans. We need the, the gospel. See, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, the beauty of the word of God. The beauty of following Christ is this. He is in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, which means if he's called you to do it, he will give you the grace and the strength to do it. He expects you to reach on him. He's not just going to just give it to you for nothing. Yeah, there's grace. There's unmerited favor. There's things we get that we don't earn. But my point being is, is if he doesn't think he can trust you with it, if he doesn't think you're going to do anything with it, and you may be on a shelf for a while. You may be put on a shelf for a season. And there may be a delay. There may be a little detour. There's times we even get a little derailed and God's got to get us what? Back on track. That's what that means. You derail means you got off the track. You detour means you went in a different direction than you were originally intended. Or you went the long way around about and it got you back onto the even path. See, a lot of times we do that in our walk. We detour. It takes us a while to get back on track. Or we derail and somebody's got to come along and help get us back onto the track. There's, there's different conditions. There's different situations and circumstances that put us in these places that either put us in tune with God and in play with God and in 
intertwined and in connection with God. Or there's people, places, and things that will send us the other direction. And I know sometimes people, you may think, man, this is kind of basic, kind of elementary. What? Listen, why? After all these years, are you still not seeing God's hand in your life? Why are you not seeing God's provision? Why are you not seeing the fruit of Christ develop in your life? Why are you not seeing God bring blessing? Why? Look, he says, those that are willing and obedient should lead to good of the land. And the gospel is only good if you allow it to work in you. The gospel is only good if you work the principles of it in your life. You know, this isn't some Christian mantra that we do where we just scream out Jesus, Jesus, Jesus three times. And because we screamed out Jesus three times, everything's better. As if it's no different than some Middle Eastern mantra. What did Jesus say? Vain repetition. He's not about it. He's not into it. He doesn't jive with it. But what he does want, he says, obedience is better than your sacrifice. Yeah, I want sacrifice. Oh, I'm glad you gave up all these things for me. But did you do what I asked you to do? Jesus says. Oh, I'm glad you did all these spiritual things for me. Glad you did all these acts of kindness and nice things. And I'm sure he is. But did you do what I asked you to do? Obedience is better than sacrifice. And willingness, part of the deal, you can want to all you want. But God says willingness, wanting to, is not enough. You gotta be obedient. Do it. Do it. You gotta do it. It's eleven eleven. Deuteronomy one eleven says what? The Lord will increase you a thousand times more than your work. More than your father's ancestors. A thousand times more than your ancestors. For some of you guys, that's a, a lot. For some of you guys, that's a whole lot. Listen, but none of it matters if Jesus isn't your treasure. I mean, Jesus isn't your pleasure in life. So he says what? At his right hand. In his presence, there's fullness of joy and at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And if you're not at his right hand, well, who's at his right hand? Jesus. Jesus is at his right hand. He says, look, I'm the only one that gets to sit in the seat. Nobody gets to sit here except for me. It's not for me to decide where you sit, but I can tell you this. Jesus said he, he's at the right hand of the Father. Nobody else. So at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. So in Jesus, there's pleasures. See, there's a pleasure in loving God. And guess what? 
when God knows that you find your pleasure in him, then he'll allow you to find your treasure. When he is your treasure, guess what? Wealth and honor are in the house of the righteous. Those that walk in wisdom, those that fear the Lord, wealth and honor and riches are in their house. That's what it says. I didn't write that. I'm just sharing it with you. So this is the thing. You got a choice. You can allow the world to defeat you and beat you down. You can allow the system of the world, your ways, that seem right, and all of a sudden it leads to problems, leads to issues, leads to headaches, leads to death for some of you. If you're not careful, and maybe you know people that have walked through some things and the enemy just took them out. Listen, choice is you can allow the world to defeat you and beat you down. Or you can go God's way and allow him to lift you up and gird you up and sustain you. And when everybody else is sinking in the quicksand and everybody else is getting beat up by the winds and the waves. And they're fretting and they're frazzled and they're freaking out. And that's going to be a sermon in itself. Frazzled, fretting, and freaking out. It'll be a a thing we get into one of these nights. And how to avoid that. And what to do in the middle of it. So you don't have to stay there. Because we'll get there. Listen, it'll happen. In your walk, you're going to get frazzled. In your walk, you're going to fret. And in your walk, you're going to freak out. The key is, is don't stay there. Don't live there. And as often as you get there, get out of there. So anyways, back to our other teaching. So Romans 8, we're going to close with this. I didn't forget. Alright. The love of God. This is the deal. The love of God. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's real quick because I got it. Where I can read quick. It says, Now there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the power who belong to Jesus Christ, for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Jesus Christ from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be accomplished for us. We no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, 
Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about those things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. If the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. But the sinful nature always is hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those that are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not under the control of your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of the living God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as he raised Jesus from the dead, he will give you life for your mortal body by the same Spirit that lives within you. You have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you turn from it, and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave like instead God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father, for his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us we are God's children. And since we are his children, we have his treasures for everything God gives to his sons. Jesus Christ is ours too, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And we'll keep going. It says, yes, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. But we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, that we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for the day when God will give us full rights as his children. As we look forward to something we don't have yet, we wait patiently and confidently, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. We don't even know what we should pray for nor how we should pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. But the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Since God did not spare his own son, he gave up for us. Oh, one God who gives up Christ also give us everything else. 
What is this saying? The children of God. Is who will condemn us? Will Jesus? No. Pleading for us. He's raised to life, sitting in the highest place of honor next to God, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Do you mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or cold or in danger or threatened or death? Scripture says, for your sake we're killed all day. We've been slaughtered like sheep, and despite all those things, the overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't. Angels can't, and demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow, powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky, or the deepest ocean, nothing in our creation will ever be able to separate us of the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is it saying? Nothing can separate you. Seek God. Seek Jesus.
Thank you.